0: This morning, we are coming uh, to our penultimate sermon, second to last sermon in the life of Elijah. So King Ahab has died, and his son Ahaziah is now on the throne. And, and though we, we woo that Ahab is no longer around, Ahaz, Ahaziah is uh, just as corrupt. Ahaziah's story is a sad narrative of stubborn unbelief and idolatry. Um, it's a cautionary tale. And w- w- here's what I, I want you to get, okay? It's, a, it's pretty simple. Um, this is one of those key principles for spiritual health, um, spiritual success, you might say. It's, it's usually not something you're going to read in a self-help book, you know, 15 Easy Steps to Becoming uh, the Best You, uh, ama- uh, you know, Possible. I just came up with that if you weren't, um, if you were curious. Um, you can use the title. Um, so, <laughs> like it's not been done before. Um, so, but this is talking about our attitude towards, um, ultimately it's towards God, but, but it's, it's how we honor God as we approach his word. The word that has been given to us through the prophets and the apostles. And our attitude towards his word can be the difference between life and death. That's what we're going to see here. You know, those who despise the word of God uh, in this narrative, um, they end up dead. Those who humble themselves and honor, they honor God as they honor his word, they honor his prophet, they live. Would you stand for the reading of God's holy and inspired, and errant word? So this is um, beginning just at the end of 1 Kings 22, verse 51, and then continuing through chapter 1 of 2 Kings. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in the upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king and he said to them, why have you returned? And they said to him, there came a man to meet us and said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire Baal's above? the god of Ekron. Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him. He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent him a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, the king sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50, And he answered and said to him, "O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire came, the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of fifty men with their fifties. But now, let my life be precious. In your sight, then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, "Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him." So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, "Thus says the Lord: Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baal Zebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die." So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? Would you bow your heads with me? Our God and our Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Your testimonies are our heritage forever, for they are the joy of our hearts. May we, by your spirit of grace and wisdom, incline our hearts to perform your statutes forever to the end. And this we pray in the great name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So after a brief introduction to King Ahaziah, we are told that as a result of a personal health crisis, King Ahaziah seeks guidance from the god Baalzebub of Ekron. Okay, So he's going to Baalzebub of Ekron. Now, just a note about the division of the books here. It seems a little of an odd place, but don't forget that originally... When First and Second Kings were written, they were written as one book. It was just kings, and when they came to the time of translated into the Greek, which required them to insert lots of vowels and lengthen the the books, um, they had to break it into two scrolls. And I don't know why they, they kind of it seems like they break it right in the in the middle um, of this narrative concerning King Ahaziah, but it does appear that it actually begins at the end of First Kings. Ahaziah is the son of Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And and by the way, Queen Jezebel is still alive, so she's going to be alive until the next king is killed. Um, Ahaziah's reign over the northern kingdom in place of his father Ahab is quite brief. It's It's listed here as two years, but the way the timing would work is probably a lot less than two years. We're told that Ahaziah continued in the worship of Baal, instituted by his parents, um, as well as, and, and it also includes, not only did he promote Baalism, the worship of this Phoenician god, but he also continued to promote um, this, uh, this calf worship, um, the, the, the golden calf shrines, perhaps meant to be a worship of Yahweh, but uh, it was considered unacceptable to God, And that was what was communicated by the prophets of God. We're also told um, that Ahaziah faces this life-threatening accident. Um, And uh, just at the beginning of 2 Kings, um, verse 2, we're we're just simply told that Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria. So essentially, you know, they didn't have glass panes. You know, they had these lattices, this kind of mesh uh, that would allow for both protection from the elements, but also airflow, like a a kind of wooden screen. Um, And you could probably open it like shutters. So the idea is that apparently he's either leaning out or leaning against this lattice. He's on a a second floor of his uh, palace, and it just, you know, it, it gives way. And he falls through, he falls to the ground of the first floor. And the result of of this is this uh, very serious injury, which will eventually result in his death. Being unsure whether he will survive his injuries and desperate to know what his future will be, King Ahaziah decides to send messengers um, to this Philistine city of Ekron, where they're, you know... um, uh, described as worshiping this particular god um, Baal Zebub. Okay, Baal Zebub. The exact nature of Baal Zebub, scholars are not clear on. Okay, so we, we don't know about this title, because the title literally translated means Lord of the Flies. Okay, so that's Baal Zebub, and it could be the most likely explanation uh, for this title. Um, is that it's a it's a corruption of the true title it's it's the, the Hebrew author here is making a play he's he's using the closeness of Ba'al with perhaps the real title which would have been uh Baal bull with an L on the end Baal means something like um, exalted lord or the prince of of, of Baal something like this so um, Baal's a bull would be like this, you know, high on, honorific title. And so it may be that <laughs> this is where the author is mocking this particular God. He's saying, yeah, he's, he's no prince. He, he's no exalted Lord. He's really, he's, he's the, the Lord of the flies. And if you think about well, what attracts flies, okay, usually it's manure, it's dung, okay. That's what he's the Lord of. Um, and, and so likely that's what this, what's being suggested here. In the New Testament, um, uh, Beelzebub is used um, as almost a reference for what stands behind these false gods. It's, it's a reference to Satan. It's a reference to demonic powers. And even carried into the presence, many of you were forced to read a book uh, by, I think, William Golding, uh, The Lord of the Flies. <laughs> There was, a, a, there was this, um, uh, a while ago, but my kids asked me to tell them a story. I, I couldn't think, you know, just make up a story. And, and I, I had just recently read The Lord of the Flies. And I thought, well, this is an adventure of kids, you know, uh, shipwrecked on an island. So I began to tell them this story. And, and I got to the little bit of the darker parts before I had to stop. And, and then, find, but I never told my kids where I got the idea from. They just thought I made it up until my daughter, Kate, read The Lord of the Flies, and she's, she, she couldn't believe that her pastor dad, you know, um, used this to tell this fictional story. But anyway, but the point of The Lord of the Flies is, is that this, this title is just pointing to this, this evil that's present, an evil that's almost demonic in nature. And in his telling, his point is that this flows out of the heart of civilized mankind. That's what his point of the, the story is it's an, actually a, a really good novel in that respect. Well, in any case, um, uh, Ahaziah expects to receive a divine word from this god concerning his condition. Um, more than this, uh, the king's probably hoping that this god, Beelzebub, or Beelzebul, will offer his curative powers. You know, Maybe if he gives the right offering or the, the right donation, that this God will um, actually help bring, his, bring about his healing. And, and at this point, we need to be reminded um, that there are certain practices that are clearly denounced uh, as abominable practices in the Scriptures. They're denounced with the strongest language. Ahaziah is seeking a forbidden source of knowledge. He wants to know something that is generally God doesn't reveal to us. He wants to know what's going to happen to him. He wants to perhaps even appeal to these spiritual powers to intervene in his life. And the scriptures are just so clear on this point that when it comes to looking for guidance from these, um, um, uh, spiritual places, um, and, and what I'm talking about is these, these places that have, um, some kind of demonic or occult, um, uh, background. Um, I'm talking about, uh, the practice of consulting mediums. Engaging in seances, having your palm read, seeking knowledge from tarot cards, Ouija boards, crystal balls, astrology, or other kinds of occult practices. These are things that often teenagers are curious about and they want to dabble with. And what the Bible says is that this is an affront to God. That this is not just only affront to God, but there's good reason. It is a dangerous practice. It is a seductive practice, and it may allow these demonic powers to get a foothold in your life. Very dangerous. So just the overt message here, you want to stay away from these kinds of practices, these forbidden sources. So the messengers go out of the king, and it almost sounds like before they get very far, they're confronted directly by the word of God, spoken by the prophet Elijah, who meets them on their way. And Elijah gives them a very simple message. He confronts the king's disobedience by saying, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to Baal-zebub, the God of Ekron? This is a question that is emphasized, and it's being repeated three times. (laughs) The author wants you to get that at the heart of this is this question, is, is Ahaziah's worldview correct? Is his view that really either, if, um, that either Yahweh doesn't exist, or if he does exist, um, there's no use in going to him? Is God true, or is, is the Baal of Ekron uh, a, a true God? Well, n- what's also interesting here is um, not only does God exist, but notice how the Lord intervenes in a way here that idols never do. Okay? The Lord um, is actually present in a very concrete way, in a way that idols never are. Well, what do I mean? First, God sees the actions of this king. He hears the directive he gives to his messengers to go forth uh, to Ekron. Number two, the angel of the Lord appears to Elijah. There are such a thing as angels. In this case, the angel of the Lord. The, the prophet is physically sent to intercept the king's messengers. Number four, when he arrives, the Lord gives him an unambiguous, clear message. This is so often the case with these, you know, these um, kind of mediums and and uh, people who do uh, readings and so forth. Their message, their, the message they give, they're kind of like Chinese fortunes. <laughs> they're so general and ambiguous; they could mean anything. Not so with the Word of God. You you are not going to come down from your bed. You are going to die. That's pretty clear. The Lord gives to His people a clear word. He doesn't leave us uh, just to to live in a blind spiritual darkness, just trying to you know uh, crawl and cl- uh, claw our way through this world. He gives us clarity and light. He also provides promises, and He has shown massive evidence in fulfilling those promises especially and most critically, the promises that are fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah, the Savior, who is um, uniquely uh, the fulfillment of these promises. And he is uniquely able to solve our most pressing concerns. That is the concern that we have for the forgiveness of sins, the concern that we have for reconciliation with God, the concern that we have for eternal life, the concern of entering through, the narrow door. So why do we, like Ahaziah, fail to consult the Lord in prayer? Why do we fail to seek his wisdom in his word? Why do we fail to believe God? Why do we fail to trust his promises when he has shown us over and over his power to answer, his power to fulfill his word and his promises? Not only does the king provoke God to anger and his unbelief and idolatry, but we need to see the consequences of despising God. And and this despising of God is in the direction of despising the word of God. Elijah declares to the king's messengers um, that as a result of his unbelief, the king will die. The messengers return with a message, and, and apparently Elijah, you know, you're like, did the messengers not ask for his name? But they have to describe this prophet to the king who recognizes, based on the description, oh, yeah, it's my worst fears. It's, it's Elijah. And at this point, you know, the king has a, a um, he's got a decision to make. Does he, does he respond with humility? Does he receive the message of the prophet with a tender heart, an open heart? Or does he double down? And does he demand, you know, this prophet be brought to him perhaps to reverse this curse or to suffer the wrath of the king if he fails? Well, um, King Ahaziah options for uh, door number two. And so he sends his military commander to bring the prophet back. Um, He sends a captain with 50 men. They go, they see Elijah. He's sitting on a hill. And in this... This is uh, in a certain way of just reflecting on this is where God usually meets with people is on top of hills, on, on top of mountains, and, and this is being symbolized. The prophet is here, not just merely as a man, Elijah, who's you know guilty of some crime, but he is present. This idea of sitting on the mountain is, he is he's operating in his official capacity as the prophet of God, as the man of God, as the. Representative and spokesman representing God. Okay, so that's important to understand here. And so when this captain um, demands, you know, the king says, "Come down." Well, at this point, the state is overreaching. (laughs) The state is not above the prophet of God because he's he's God's man. Um, he needs to approach God in a very different way, in a different manner, with a different attitude. But rather than this, he just demands, you come down now, you're under arrest, we're taking you away. Well, then he's, Elijah just says, well, if I am a man of God, may the fire of God come down, the fire of heaven. And, and in Hebrew, th- there's a play on words here. In Hebrew, man is ish. So will the, they're saying Oh, Ish of God, come down. And and Elijah says, well, if you want the Ish of God to come down, instead what you're going to get is the fire, that is the Ish. (laughs) You're going to get the Ish of God. So there's this little play on words um, that we see here. And indeed, just like at Mount Carmel, the fire of God is a consuming fire comes. And these men are, you know, uh, like they've been hit with a phaser blast. They just disappear. They're they're incinerated um, and they're struck down. Well, the king hears about this, and you would think, will this cause the, the king to perhaps, um, uh, move in a more, uh, humble, uh, way, in a more humble direction? But no, he just simply says, well, that, you know, I don't know what went wrong there, but, um, sending another captain, you know, maybe a more forceful captain. And indeed, when the second captain with his 50 men arrive, um, he says, uh, not just to come down, but come down quickly. Come down now. You see this added forceful um, emphasis to the second captain's uh, demands. And, of course, Elijah responds the same way. You know, if I am the Ish of God, may the Ish of God come down. And you would think, you know, so it's almost as if the second captain is standing right where the first group were. And you can only imagine, like, is the ground charred? Is it, like, covered black with ash? you like the second up, What is he thinking? So what's the principle? Well, skipping ahead to verse 17, we see that the word of the Lord proves itself true in the fact that the king dies. And notice that how this is described. So he died according to what? So here's our theme according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. God's word was despised, and the result is all those who are despising the word of God, they're rejecting it in a high-handed fashion. They end up dead. Now, it's true that there are many people who despise the word of God today, and nothing seems to happen. And even in this day, you know, you still have Jezebel. She's still alive. She's still going. And, and so, um, what we want to, to say is that those consequences of despising the word may not come immediately, but one day they will arrive, even if it's when entering into the life to come. Psalm 73 says this, truly, you set them in slippery places. You make uh, them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by, te- by terrors. You think, well, that's all Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, and this kind of begins mid-sentence. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, Inflaming fire, so this is pointing to the second coming of Christ. Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and then get the second part, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might." It is a great sin to despise, to mock, to disobey the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus. The third captain shows us a better way. He shows us the way when he honors God as he honors the word. So the third captain is sent out. He provides this brief glimpse of a different kind of attitude um we see it in verse 13 and 14 and, and and right away you see it in his posture and the third captain of 50 went up and came and what he fell on his knees this is a posture of submitting himself humbling himself before the man of god before uh god himself He pleads. He's like trembling before the word. And by his actions, he acknowledges the authority, the truthfulness, the power of the word. He knows he's interacting with a holy God. And he seeks mercy. And God, being both good and merciful, spares this captain, and not just the captain, but his men as well. He's given life and likely the gratitude of his men. With this captain, Elijah is commanded to return with him. Because, you know, this is a man who has demonstrated respect for the man of God. He will protect Elijah. Elijah will be safe with this captain. And in the end, then, of this narrative, everyone who despises the word, they die. Everyone who honors the word, as they honor the prophet, as they... As a way of honoring God, they live. Let me just quote some scripture. Isaiah 66, 2. But this is the one of to whom I will look, the Lord says. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Matthew 4, 4. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Colossians 3:16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms hymns and spiritual songs With thankfulness in your hearts to God. What is your attitude to the Word of God? It is a Word that has been given to us through the prophets and the apostles. Is there an area of your life that, like Ahaziah, is in rebellion to the Word? Or with deep reverence, are you placing yourselves under its authority, recognizing its truth, its beauty, its, its central theme, that life is found in no other place than in Jesus Christ? We serve a holy God who takes great offense when his word is neglected or consciously disobeyed. It was said of John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, that if you cut him anywhere... His blood ran (laughs) bibline. That's what we want. We want to be so filled with the word of God. You cut us any place, our blood runs bibline. Would you bow your heads with me? We give you thanks, O God, for the gospel of your son, the crucified and risen Redeemer, and for the words that you gave through the prophets and the apostles written down for our spiritual good, that through patience and learning we might have an unshakable hope in you, the triune God. Now may you, the God of all truth, grant us to be like-minded with one another, according to Jesus, that we may be with one mind and one mouth, we may glorify you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.